Cairo, Seattle. We had an absolute blast traveling to the South in the spring of 2018 for a Clemson spring game, knowing I'd have the opportunity to sit down and tape this podcast with Dabo Sweeney. You know, I got to see Dabo his first year as a head coach and to watch him build over the last decade what he's built, really a dynasty at Clemson, something that had never been done to this level of success. Well, I've marveled at it from both afar and inside, but getting a chance to spend time to see all of that growth and really what it's all about without ever losing its core values of character and taking care of its players was just so much fun. But beyond any of that, don't take my words for it. When we got a chance to sit down with a number of the players, some of the best star players on the Clemson team, heard one of the more profound things I've ever heard from a college player. He's one of their All-American defensive linemen. And he said to our production meeting, he said, you know what, there's a lot of programs in college football that use and abuse their players. At Clemson, we really feel like we're molded. As you hear Dabo Sweeney's story over the next 40 minutes, I think you'll understand why. You do have remarkable stories. Yeah. Your life is one remarkable story after <laughs> another, truly. Yeah. I mean, I, of all these I've done yeah. so far, and I want to know what it was as a, as a young boy mm-hmm. when home starts <clears throat> to break apart, mm-hmm. when dad starts to lose his business, mm-hmm. when you know brokenness <clears throat> comes into that home and Dabo's in the backyard sleeping, yeah, yeah. on the roof sleeping. Take me to that moment. Mm. Well, that's, that's interesting you asked me that question to start out because that's where I was yesterday. I spoke. I went to the Men of Color Summit in Greenville yesterday, and I spoke to a bunch of ninth to 12th graders and trying to encourage them. Because, you know, everybody sees me as the Clemson coach. You know, and I said, these kids, they don't they just know me as I'm the Clemson coach. They see me on TV or they mm-hmm. see me, hear me, or, or that's what they identify me with. And, and I, it was important for me to make the connection with them early because a lot of them – they come from where I was uh, in the ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, and um, so that was how I kind of started off. Is listen, yeah, I'm the Clemson coach, but here's the first thing I want y'all to know. That's just what I do. I mean, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a son, I'm a Christian, I'm a friend. And I said so. Th- those are the things that I really am. But here's what my message to y'all today. I'm here to encourage you because I can close my eyes and just like that, I'm I'm 14. I'm 15, and I—I I mean, listen. I can tell you every teacher I had. I can tell you. I can. I can smell the gym floor at Pelham High School. I can smell the field house and the floor that I laid on and cried when I was 16, when I finally knew that the mask had to come off. You know, things that I had tried to hide from my friends that they probably knew anyway, but that I I just never would talk about and always made excuses. And so I said, here's what I want y'all to know. That time in my life is so vivid. Y'all see me as this Clemson coach. Y'all see this guy who people talk about, he makes a lot of money, he's on TV, he's this, he's that. I said, what I see when I look in the mirror is that same hungry kid, desperate, desperately chasing his dream. It's what I see every day when I look in the mirror. So at 16, mask comes off. Is that when a, a walk with the Lord really? Well, that was that my walk with the Lord started at 16. But but and so I was telling. I said, you know, I said, you know, I come from a home of dysfunction, and I didn't know that my home wasn't normal until, you know, I think I got up into middle school. 
Yeah, I, I didn't know. I mean, I'm in a small town. I mean, uh, I, I just thought that, you know, that's what you did. That's just the way it was. And uh, my dad was, it, it was, a, was a great man, was a loving father, but he had some demons. And, you know, he, he, it became an addiction. And his answer to everything was alcohol. It didn't matter what it was. And, and some people, when they deal with their addiction, maybe they become, maybe they become nice. I don't know. But my dad became mean mm-hmm. and violent and abusive verbally, physically, every form of the fashion, you know. And uh, I can remember many, 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 many nights you just knew it was coming. And windows getting broken, police coming to your house, running, hiding, worried about your mom. And when I got that time frame for me, because I was the baby of three boys, and so my older brother was kind of out, was gone out of the house, and ironically became a police officer. But, uh, you know, I remember vividly as I started to figure things out and I became a little bit more of a mature young person, you know, you're getting 13, 14, 15 years old, you, you know more. And I understood the dynamics of some of my other friends' families, and uh, I'll never forget coming home. I guess I was about 14, uh, the only home I ever knew. Uh, I came home one day, and there was my dad's pickup truck and a couple other trucks in front of the house. I woke up, and they said, hey, go get everything. We're moving. I'm like, what? we're moving? What? Mm-hmm. I mean, just like that, literally. I mean, you got to still start grabbing your stuff, and we had lost our home, and we had to be out that night. And so... Uh, we're packing up stuff, throwing it on a pickup truck. I'm in my room. only house I knew was the one constant. And that, that was when the nomadic lifestyle for me started. At least I had had that, con- that from the time we moved to Pelham when I was about four. And uh, so for about 10 years there, we lived in that house, little house, and that was home to me. Yeah. And now, so literally, I come home, and I'm, I'm throwing all my stuff in a truck. I'm throwing, and we, we move over. My dad had rented another little place, decent house he rented. A year later, we're out of that. Then we moved out of the city to another house, and that was kind of the final stop for me and my mom because then it was just me and my mom and my dad and uh, sitting at the kitchen table one night and uh, studying. You know, I always played three sports. I was a straight-A student. God blessed me that way, thank, thank the Lord. But I was studying, and my mom, she was working at the mall at this point. She'd started at, out at Kmart, and then she ended up going to the mall. She got a job at, like, the little department store, and so mm-hmm. she'd work nights and whenever. And I remember she, it was about 10-something. She had, was coming in, and I heard her screaming, and my dad had, had attacked her in the yard. And, uh, you know, I, I was the first time that I had had to really intervene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's when I said, you know what? This is this is this is just enough. And you're 15, and, 16. Yeah, I, I was I was actually at that time I was sixteen, yeah. and um, but I had gotten saved February of nineteen eighty six when I was sixteen years old, and and that was such a a a that's a whole story of its <laughs> own. But but so we move, and uh, my coaches help get us situated. We move into a little town home back in Pelham, and uh, we live there three months. And it was a tough time because even though, you know, I was mad and angry with my dad and didn't have a great relationship, uh, he's still my dad. Sure. And I love my dad. And I had good memories of my dad. So and I hurt for my mom, but we got evicted after three months. So now I'm, I'm going into my – it's going. It's the summer going into my senior year. And um, 
uh, we move in with some friends, you know, just a, uh, a mom and her son. Her son was my friend, and so I'm sleeping on an egg crate in the floor, and I'd roll the egg crate out in the den. That's where I sleep. I'd roll it up, put it in the closet. My mom slept upstairs in, in the room with his sister, and so we were there, and then eventually we went our separate ways, and, and uh, you know, my mom was desperate, and, and she was staying somewhere else, and I went to live with my dad's mom down in Maylene, Alabama, in a little government-subsidized apartment, uh, a little two-bedroom, and uh, just me and my grandma. And I stayed there until I graduated and moved to Tuscaloosa. You know, I, but I, my faith yeah. is what saved me. Why didn't you run? Why didn't you run? Run from the problems. Run yeah. into what the world yeah. know, throws at Well, I, I, I was, if you take me back to that time frame, I would have been the poster child for so-called at risk. You know, if you, if you had the check boxes of, you know, broken home, addiction in the home, abuse in the home, hmm. not a lot of oversight in the home. I was basically, you know, because <laughs> my mom, my mom was amazing, but she, she had to work. She was trying to survive. And so, you know, I'm the baby of three boys. By the time it got to me, I mean, I had it figured. I mean, I was a good student. I was playing three sports. And, I mean, I was busy. I was kind of on my own. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, when I got saved at 16, that was that was the anchor that I needed. But I was the poster child for at risk. But as I tell all these young people, what God will do for you, what a relationship, when you meet Jesus, mm-hmm. all right, because for me, when I got saved that February of 1986, you know, and my family was still together at that time. But it was after that, things got worse than they'd ever been. But I had a different peace, and I had a different hope than I'd ever had. And I had a different way of thinking, and I had, I really, truly believed in Jeremiah 29, 11. That, hey, listen, I know the plans I have for you. Not I think I know. I know the plans I have for you. And they're plans for good, not disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And what I take from that is, and this is what I try to share with a lot of people sometimes because they're in the midst of it, is if there's really hope in the future, then there's power in the present to deal with whatever you are dealing with. And I, I had, no matter what, I always chose to have a good attitude. And I can only give credit to the Lord for that. I always found a way to be grateful. Even though I didn't have a lot to be grateful for, and even though I'm normal and I would get upset and I worried and I was, you know, I remember I had a car for a very short time and I remember the, the car got repoed. They had to come take the car and I cried and I was embarrassed. And that's when, you know, because I wanted to be, you know, I wanted people to think I had a good family and I had, and, yeah. and, and I remember finally just, laying on the floor at the field house talking to one of my friends saying you know you know this has been because I mean, people my dad would be gone at times they'd say where's your dad oh he's at, staying with his mom she's not doing well or something and just always making excuses yeah. and I just said you know what I embraced it and I just said this is where God's got me I don't know why he does and I just quit worrying about it I embraced it and I didn't like it I didn't like the fact that I scored 26 points in a basketball game and make the all-area team, and, and nobody was there to watch. And I didn't like the fact that I would, you know, score a touchdown on Friday night, and nobody was there to watch. And if they were there, my dad would be drunk, and I'd be embarrassed, and I'd have to deal with that. Or I would be hurting, 
because I wanted to go and celebrate with him, but I was too angry to do that. But I just, I just, I just accepted where I was. But what God did is He gave me a peace and a hope and a vision beyond my circumstances. Allowed me to believe and dream beyond my circumstances. And that's the greatest gift that I had. And that was what kept me from running. That was what kept me from getting caught up in the wrong things. That was what, I mean, you know, I have a brother who's, who's he's in jail right now. And, and uh, probably going to be there for a while. And he's run his whole life. He's only 17 months older than me. And by the grace of God, man. Yeah, and I and I, I've tried to help him, you know, for his, our whole lives. But but it, it's it, so many people, young people, and this is what I tell them when I go and speak to them, or even my players, is, you know, sometimes somebody will say, well, you know, well, you just don't understand, you know, <laughs> man, my my dad's this, my mom's this, my this and my that, and I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you something. No, I do understand. Here's what I understand. Those are reasons to not do this. All right? Do you want to create change or do you want more of the same? Don't allow the color of your skin. Don't allow the house you grew up. Don't allow the consequences or the bad decisions that your family. Sometimes as a young person, you're more mature than your family. And that's kind of where I got in my life. And I realized that, you know what? I didn't control who my mom and dad is. I don't control what color I am. I don't control what house I grew up in. I don't control their actions. I don't control those things. But here's what I do control. I control how I think. And I control what my work ethic and what my character and what my, who I surround myself with. And all these things... That's not going to happen to me. Both of my older brothers were bankrupt at 22 because my dad had written bad checks on them and, and, and had bankrupt them. And I watched it, and I said, you know what? Adversity is for everyone, but so many people, when it happens, they either let that define them the rest of their life, whether it's their adversity or somebody else in their life's adversity, or they let it destroy them. Or you can let it develop you. And the wise person, you well, we all learn from our own mistakes, our own experiences, but the wise person learns through everybody else's experiences, everybody else's mistakes and successes. So I just had this, God gave me this vision early of to see something, to stay focused. And, and something, if I ever got off track, man, I, he, he would either put a person in my path, something to get me refocused on what I wanted most in life. And so many young people, they give up what they want most for what they want at a moment. They get caught up in a moment, and then they have regret. Mm-hmm. And, and I tried to truly stay focused. And the way I did it is I kept my eyes on the Lord in the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, when I was 16, I had a lady come up to me. I, I was with a buddy, Norm, big Norm, my buddy Norman. And we were going to hang out one night. I think I might have been 17, 16 or 17, but I'm a junior. He's a senior, and we're going to uh, uh, go hang out, you know, at the Burger King or whatever. So we go by. He said, we need to stop by and see his mom for a minute. And I'm like, okay. So we stop and I see his mom, and she's at like some kind of, 
I'd never seen anything like it. It was like some kind of prayer revival thing or something. All these women were standing around mm. and they were praying. It was kind of weird. Uh, I didn't, you know, I'm, I didn't, I'm like, oh, I'm just kind of standing over here in the back. Norman's going to see his mom. And, yeah. and, and while I'm standing back there, this lady walks up to me just out of the blue. You know, he, there's all these people in there, and Norm's over, and she just walks over to me. I'm like a, just in the back of the room, just waiting to go. And, uh, and she came over to me, and she grabbed my arm, and she says, she goes, listen, son, I didn't know her. She didn't know me. She goes, I just, I just, she said, the good Lord just put this on my spirit to come over here and tell you this. And she said, I want you to know, all right, she said, you, you, you are going to do great things, but here's what the good Lord has put on my spirit to tell you. You keep your eyes on the Lord in everything that you do, good and bad. It's important. You believe in yourself. Always believe. Believe in yourself. Believe in the Word. And don't you ever quit. Don't you ever quit. And then she walked off. And I I literally, I went home that night, and I was so kind of, I thought about it the rest of the night. I was so kind of just moved by that. Yeah. And, and, And I wrote that down. And that has been become the fundamentals of my life. And that has been really the key to any success that I've had because I've always gone back to that. Listen, you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord in everything, the good and the bad, believe, and then you can't quit. And there's been times I've wanted to quit. And that has served me well. Even to this day, I live by that. see if we can do two things here uh this is the intersection of faith and sports mm-hmm. so is there was there a a crossroads there for you maybe both as a player collegiately mm-hmm. as a, mm-hmm. and then ultimately uh, as many people know you now as a coach was there sure. a couple watershed just crossroad moments there <laughs> man yeah uh so you know I, when i was in high school and i played three sports and I, I just you know i didn't come from a family of education so i'm the first one to go off to college first one to graduate from college mm-hmm. parents grandparents great grandparents brothers you name it and so i didn't really have much knowledge in the process and i had had some junior colleges recruiting me and 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 i had a couple of smaller schools and in all three of the sports um but i had this this um stubbornness if you will and and that's it's probably served me well too, and probably mm-hmm. probably not served me well at times. But but I had a real stubbornness to me, and and I, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatrician. That's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna change my mom's life. I'm gonna go be a doctor. I'm gonna be a pediatrician. And and uh, man, I'm gonna I had this lifestyle. I had this you know I'm gonna help people. I'm gonna go do this and that. And I'm not gonna have to worry about some of these things that I've that I've worried about. And I worked constantly. I was either landscaping, cutting grass, cleaning gutters, you know, cutting trees down. But I'm playing baseball. I was always working, always. Yeah, and never, you know, where I was in somebody's yard on a Sunday uh, digging out their flower beds. I mean, I just always working. And I had to work around my schedule because I was so busy mm-hmm. with school and my sports. But I didn't know what I was going to do for college, <clears throat> number one. And, and so – I'm trying to figure this thing out, and um, I wanted to go to Alabama. I thought if I went to a smaller school, I wouldn't get the education that I needed. For and I was so naive in that way, <laughs> right. you know. Like I didn't, I just didn't, I just thought that like if I didn't go to the mothership, yep. <laughs> uh, I was, I, I wasn't gonna make it. And but I didn't know how I was gonna do it. And I had a counselor explain to me, well, you know, there's you, you're gonna qualify for Pell grants, number one, 
and I didn't know what that was. And then you can get student loans if you really want to go to, I'm like, what? And so I'm like, well, I'm going to Alabama. <laughs> and so, and I did, I got a full Pell Grant and student loans. So that was a, a big moment for me because I really didn't know what I was going to do. And so mm-hmm. I moved to Tuscaloosa with everything I owned and I went down there and, and um, my first year I wanted to get on the team and, and I didn't get on the team right away. I had to go through the weight room program. There's about 42 guys, and I think two of us made it that spring, mm-hmm. spring of 89. And uh, it was it was unbelievable. They put you in jail now uh, with, for stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, but we went to – so I make it out that spring. Bill Curry's the head coach, and yeah. that was an unbelievable moment for me. And then fall of 89, um, Tommy Bowden's my receiver coach. And um, – I got to play in one game. I, w- I just wanted to be on the team. I just remember going out to the flex lines for the first time like, man. I mean, they gave me like Kenny Stabler's old shoulder pads and everybody <laughs> had black shoes and I had white shoes. And But I was so Didn't happy matter. to be on the team. And that was like a goal. But then I, I started to realize, you know, hey, man, I'm, I, there's more out here for me. And, and so I played in one game. And then the coaches changed in January mm-hmm. of 90. Coach Stallings comes in. Woody McCorvey, ironically, came from Clemson mm-hmm. as the receiver coach to be the new receiver coach at Alabama. And mm-hmm. I hated him. So that whole spring, I go from playing in a game, I did not get a rep in the spring game. Who, don't play, who doesn't play in the spring game? Are you kidding me? You know, but here's a new coaching staff. They come in there. You know, they, don't, they only know who's on scholarship. And I had, I had already – you know, in my mind, I think even some of those co- – I had already moved past some of those guys. And I was positioned to kind of go and really get some stuff going as a sophomore. And now I'm, I'm like the bottom of the barrel. Woody McCorvey, he didn't say my name all spring. Coach Stalling, I mean, I'm just like – and I hit the wall that spring. Mm. And I, I – I, it was a watershed moment for him because I was going to leave. Yep. I'll never forget, I called one of my buddies who was playing at North Alabama, D- D2 school, and I'm like, hey – because I was at a point there where I knew I was good enough. I was like, I know I can play. Now I want to play. And I know I'm good enough. And I, had, I was more worldly to realize, you know what, I can go get an education anywhere. I don't just have to be here. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to transfer to North Alabama. And I, you know, I had these visions of me going to North Alabama and, you know, uh, being this great player and all this and that. And I remember talking to my buddy on the team, and he was like, he's like, Dabo, have you lost your mind? <laughs> he's like, listen, you're at Alabama. <laughs> You need and I and, and I and then I, I went, talked to my my brother and my older brother has always been such a great mentor for me, and I went and I talked to Mayor Hayes back in my hometown and and then I went back to those fundamentals, and I said you know, I can't quit. Keep my eyes on God, believe in myself, and don't quit. So I just kind of changed my attitude. My priorities out of whack. My attitude was not right, and I changed. I said you know, I may never play the rest of here but you know what I'm going to be the best scout team wide out they've ever had come through this program I, I started thinking about all the friends that I had all the relationships that I was developing all the experiences that I'd already had I'd already played I'd already achieved more than I thought I would I was like you know what I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to be the best version of me and whatever happens happens and I just had this peace and I went back to work and it's crazy my sophomore year first game Guy gets hurt, blows his knee out. Second game, Craig Sanderson blows his knee out, starting wide out. Third game, Prince Wimley starting wide out, blows his knee out against Georgia. So all of a sudden, I'm just kind of doing my thing, and I don't even think 
Woody McCorby knows me, and this is the honest to God truth. And now, by the way, he's second in charge here. He's like a father to me, and I and I'm over there running scout routes for Bill Oliver, who's the D coordinator, who loved me by the way. I mean, I was his guy, and I mean, I'm you know I'm doing all this stuff, and it's a Tuesday practice, and I'll never forget it. The equipment guy comes over to me and says, "Hey, Coach McCorby needs to see you over on the offense field." And I look over there, and I mean, they're running routes, and then. Uh, so I go jogging over there in my whatever shirt, whatever whoever team we were that week, and I and I go jogging over there. Guy said a word to me since he got there last January. Now this is like you know September October, and he goes, he said Dab, call me Dab, and he said he said I'm tired looking at these guys. He said you got a white jersey in there. That's what the offense where I went. I looked at him. I said. I said, yes, sir, I got one in there. On the way over, I'm going, did I miss class? I'm trying to think of something. And, I mean, what, you know, and, he, and he's looking at me because he was a man. He's still a man of few words. And he yeah. said, he goes, would you get in there and put that jersey on? I'm going to give you a chance today. He said, you do a good job. You're going to play this weekend. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. You know, and so what? And so I go in there and I, I – I, throwing out jersey I had every color you know in the southeastern conference I find this jersey and I go out there and as soon as I get out there the horn blows were going one-on-one and 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 he's like dab come here come here so now I'm like all of a sudden I'm his guy and and I get in there with Gary I'm with Gary Hollingsworth this is the starting quarterback Gary's smiling at me and and we're gonna we ran like a out route or something and I dive and make this catch on Ephraim Thomas our starting corner everybody goes crazy and and it was just unbelievable moment. Yeah. The whole practice. I mean, I went home. I'm like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. So I remember telling my mom, like, I, so I had to. It was like Wednesday and Thursday were the most intense days of my life. And I'll never. So I walk off the practice field on Thursday because you didn't know back in those days. And you walk by the board and you looked. And there was a 72. It was travel 70. And man, I saw my name. Wow. And I had that bag in front of my locker. And I mean, I was like, man, this is unbelievable. So I. I waited till everybody was gone, and I stole it off the wall. And it's framed in my house to this day. And then I drove to Pelham, Alabama that night to show my brother, to show, to show my, uh, the mayor, to show them. And, and, you know, my dad had told me uh, a year or so before, because, you know, we were, I was struggling, and, and I'll never forget he told me, he said, he said, you ain't good enough to play there. And you, you don't need to be going to school. You need to go to work. That's what we do. We need to go to work. And, it, and it, it hurt me. And I remember slamming the phone down. But it also was a gift for me. And, uh, and that, was, that was my, I'll never forget, calling my dad. And he was drunk when he was saying that. And I, and, and, and I was telling him, hey, you might want to watch this weekend. I'm going to be playing. And, you know, my dad didn't make it to many games, but – and that's another story because I had total redemption in my life with my dad. But, but this was a tough time. But, so that was a watershed moment. And the lesson from that, and the same thing as a coach, so I go on and let her three years, get a scholarship, play, and, and then they hire me as a GA. Then, then Coach Stallings hires me as a full-time coach. And then after the 2000 season, they fire the, the, the head coach. Dennis Franchoni comes in, doesn't keep anybody. I'm out of coaching. Thirty years old, had all this promise. I had all this knowledge, and, and so fourteen uh, to sixteen, yeah. you have your eyes on the Lord. 
16 to 30 through all of this, or you have your mm-hmm. eyes on the Lord, mm-hmm. you're hard-headed, mm-hmm. stubborn, you believe in yourself mm-hmm. through the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, I would imagine, as, as we turn the story here into the coaching, mm-hmm. you get fired, mm. now what? Man, exactly, now what? And that's, that's what we build our program on here is the now what? You know, mm-hmm. when football ends, now what? When your wife walks out on you, now what? When you lose that job, now what? You know, everything's about how you respond. And that's why you have to build your life on a spiritual foundation. That's why we have so many problems in this world, because people who don't do that, they build their life on on sand, if you will. And when that washes away, they turn to all these wrong things. And for me, I, when we got fired, and I was 30, I remember people calling me, man, this is not fair. They're doing you wrong. I'd been there 13 years. Man, you should still be there. You've not done anything, blah, 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 you know, all this. You know, and I'm like, hey, look. The God that delivered me when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, that allowed me to experience what these, you know what? He's the same God now. I don't know what his plan for me is, but I know, he, I know his is bigger than mine. And, yeah, I'm disappointed, but I just have to understand, if, and that's what faith is all about, is, is believing and, and having hope when sometimes it doesn't seem like there should be any reason to believe or have hope. That's what it's all about. And that's what God says. You have to thank him in your sufferings and your blessings. I was where I was. And I was frustrated because I tried to get a couple jobs and didn't get them. And then the next thing I know, God takes me. That crazy strength coach that I, that I went through the weight room program with in 1988 calls me in February of 01 and says, Hey, Dabo, what are you going to do? <laughs> And I'm like, well, coach, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have to sit out this year and get in next year. I'm a football coach. He's like, well, I want you to come and sit down. His name is Rich Wingo. Mm-hmm. He's a the goal line stand at Alabama. He's played all them years for the Packers. I mean, he, he, and next thing I know, I have gone to work for Rich Wingo. And my team is like, have you lost your mind? You're going to work for Rich Wingo? And uh, I guess I'm building shopping centers in, in, in this shopping center development business all over the country. Wow. And um, I think in, in one season turned into two seasons. Yeah. And I, re- I prayed every day to work, every day. I commuted an hour and 15 minutes for about six months, sold our house, then we moved up to Birmingham. And for a little less than two years, and did well, made, started make. I never really made any money. And, um, but, you wanted um, back in the coaching. Oh, yeah. I, well, I knew that was what I was passionate about. But I wanted to stay within God's will. And so my prayer every day, every day I would pray, I would say, God, I just, I feel like that I want to coach and that's what I'm passionate about. That's what, that's what I want to do. But God, I want to be in your will. And if that is your will, then Lord, I pray that you will open the door. And oh, by the way, while we're talking, here's what I'm looking for. I want to go to a place where I can raise my family. I want to be around godly people. Uh, I want to be at a, at a special place. And uh, that's what I'm looking for. But, God, if that's not your will for me, then I, I have this void. I pray that you will fill that void and help me to be great at what I'm doing right now and help me to bring light to wherever you take me. And that, that was my prayer. And then I'd go about my day. And I was very successful, and I was not miserable. I I, I I worked nine to five. I was off on the weekends. I was coaching my kids. I was doing some clinics. I was staying, you know, engaged. But man, it was 
there was a void. And I think when I think so I heard somebody say one time, you choose a career, you receive a calling. And, you know, sometimes you get called to do something and you're not obedient to that. And I didn't know anything else. All I had ever done was play and coach. But what God did for me was he gave me this unbelievable confidence. Those two seasons out of coaching, best thing ever happened to me. What I thought was the worst thing was the best thing that ever happened to me because God gave me a so much more of a deeper appreciation for what I get to do. That I didn't, I'm not sure I had that. Sometimes one of the most cruelest ironies in, in the world is and sometimes to truly appreciate something, you either have to lose it or be in danger of losing it. And that's kind of where I was. All of a sudden, I, I had a much more appreciation for just the relationships, the grind, the structure, the schedule, two-a-days, just the competitiveness of it, the criticism. You know, I, I just I had always been a part of a team. And it's first time. It's not that I wasn't a part of a team, but I just I, I, I think when you've when you've experienced and you're passionate about teaching and impacting people's lives, it's hard to fill that void doing something else. And that's where I was. And all of a sudden, I get a call from Mal Moore in January of '03 or December of '02. He's going to hire a guy named uh, Mike Price. That's who he's going to hire to come be the heck. And Mal was one of my coaches. He loved me, mm-hmm. and he says, "Dad, I've already talked to him." Uh, he's got a spot for you. We're doing the press conference tomorrow. I need you to drive up to Tuscaloosa, and, and he wants to meet you. He's going to go coach the Rose Bowl, and then he's going to come back. And, hey, and I am, like, on cloud nine. So I drive to Tuscaloosa. Mike Price does his press conference. Mal goes and gets him, brings him into the office, and uh, we sit down. And he says, hey, man, you know, he's a great guy. And I'm going to coach tight ends for him. And his one son's going to coach quarterbacks. The other son's going to coach receivers. And, I'm going to go coach the Rose Bowl and we'll come back and everything's good. So, so he goes and coaches the Rose Bowl. Now it's January. And he comes back. I know he's in town. I hadn't heard anything. So I called Miles. like, everything, everything good? I'm on cloud and I'm going to Alabama. I'm going back. It's where I, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, uh, and so uh, he says, oh, yeah, he's going to call you. He's at the convention when he gets back. So sure enough, he calls me on Friday. And I could tell something went right when I'm on the phone. Demeanor was different. He's like, listen, he said, Dabo, he said, I, he said, I just, you know, I've had a chance to really think this through. My one son's really young. My other son's young. He said, you're young. He said, I just think I need a more of a veteran SEC guy. And I'm sitting there going, I just spent 13 years in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was so frustrated. He hired Sparky Woods. And I went, I was so disappointed. And when I hung up the phone, I was like, I was mad. I was like, man, it's just not meant to be. And so here I was, I was, I was at that, I kind of got away from my fundamentals again. And so, so that was January of 03, about just, I don't know, three or four weeks later, out of the blue on a Friday, I get a call from Tommy Bowden, out of the blue. And he says, hey, would, would, would you be interested in getting back in coaching? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what, and this is when I knew I wanted to work for Tommy. He goes, tell you what, he said, uh, how about I pray about it, you pray about it. So I'll call you back on Sunday, see if you're still interested. I'm like, okay. And at this point, we had been building a house, and, and uh, Kath was pregnant with our third child. He called back on Sunday. He said, you still interested? I said, yes, sir. And, uh, and so he says, well, let me call Rich, because he and Rich, he knew. He, so, I, so I went in on Monday. He called Rich to tell him I was going to come up there. Flew up to Clemson on Tuesday. And when, I, when they picked me up at the airport, got up on the interstate, the first exit when you get on I-85 coming from the airport is that road. It's exit 54, Pelham Road, which the, the, the wow. DOT gave me. And I went, wow. I was like, wow, 
I'm off to a good start here. And so we go and we have this meeting. And so I go back home on Thursday. Tommy calls me that afternoon and I was making significant money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, okay, if he'll pay me $100,000, that's a $100,000 pay cut from where I am, I'm going. I, I can, I'm, this is what I've prayed for. And had a lot of people saying, do not take that job. You know, man, it was his fifth year. Things weren't good here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he offered me 105, and I said, I'll take it, and Done. let's go. Done. Done. And so my wife, she didn't flinch. She didn't hesitate. Some 33 years of living in Alabama. I moved to Clemson, South Carolina, February of 03, and here I go coaching spring ball. Well, that spring, that May, that May, I'm out on the road recruiting in Florida doing my thing, get a call from one of my Alabama buddies. Hey, man, you heard what's going on? I'm like, no, what's going on? They're about to fire Mike Price. I'm like, What? And, I, and right then, I literally, I said, you know what? I said, God, I asked for forgiveness right there because, I, and I just said, you know what? I'm going to quit worrying about it. God never says oops. Sometimes we don't understand it. God don't say my bad. You know, sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes we don't understand why. And we probably never will this side of eternity. But I just quit worrying about it because, you know what? What I thought I wanted and what my plan was, was that job. And I would have been right in the middle of that mess. And who knows if the new coach is going to keep you or not. And so I'm right here at Clemson. And fast forward five and a half years later, October 13, 2008, just like that Tuesday when I was a player, a sophomore, I come to work on a Monday, and AD walks in and says, hey, you're now the head coach. See my office in five minutes. And, you know, so the lessons from that is, first of all, be great where you are because you never know who's watching. Just bloom where you're planted. If you're a scout team receiver, be the best scout team receiver on the planet. You never know who's watching. You may never get the opportunity, but be the best you can be anyway. If you're a coach, if you're a GA, if you're be the best you can be, the best version of you because you don't know who's watching. Mm-hmm. All right? And then the second part, back to being a player, then getting opportunities, is be prepared. Be prepared for your opportunity. From the time I got into coaching in 1993, I prepared to be a head coach. That's what I prepared to do. You know, it's just been, a, it's been an amazing journey. And, and, but that's a couple of watershed moments for me. Uh, so that October 13th when I get the job, I get the job on, on a Monday. It was crazy. Tim was, Bray was living through that with me. It was crazy. And on Tuesday, I didn't sleep. Wednesday, and now it's Thursday morning. It's about 530 in the morning. And I'm pulling in the parking lot up there at the old building in McFadden. And I was exhausted. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, a lot of times I just pray in the car coming from work. I'll just talk. People probably think I'm talking to myself. But I just, I'll just, you know, I was coming to that work that morning. I was like, God, all of a sudden I had this, this fear. I mean, I was overcome with doubt and fear. And it was, I was on adrenaline those first few days. And now this thing's getting real. I mean, we're going to play a game on Saturday. Oh, by the way, it's Paul Johnson's first year. I have never seen the triple option in my life. And that's my first game, and I'm like, this is this is a nightmare, mm-hmm. and and I I mean I and all these things going through my head, and I, I was overcome with fear and doubt, and just worldly thoughts, and and um, I remember praying, you know, God, man, 
I need your help. I just need you to fill me with, with some courage and strength. And I remember pulling, I pulled in the parking lot. And see, this is something I tell people often, and this happens to me all the time. God will wink at you. God sometimes will hug you if you're seeking that. Eyes and, on the Lord. Eyes on the Lord. And I walk, I pull into the parking lot, not a soul in the parking lot. And I pull in. And I, the night before, that Wednesday night, I had finally moved my stuff over into Tommy's office. I was going to stay in my office. And I realized, well, this is not going to work because I couldn't get anything done. So I had all my body. I just moved them over to Tommy's office. So it's the first day that I pull in, and I was like, well, I guess I'll go park up there with Tommy Park because there was a little sliding door right there in front of his office. And so I pull around, and I'll turn in to that spot, and my lights hit the curb, and I just stopped. And I cried. I literally I stopped, and I just cried. And the lights hit the curb and it was it was the space was 88 which was my college number and i and it was to me that was god saying hey look i got you i got you right where i want you just walk in faith it's going to be just like the rest of your life you're going to have some good days you got some tough days but just stay true to who you are and what your fundamentals are i got you right where i want you and so i pull in that parking spot and man i got out of work that day and I was so filled with the spirit and I didn't know what was going to happen I had seven weeks to go live as a head coach and I didn't know what was going to happen but I knew I was walking in God's will and uh, that was a great moment for me and so we fast forward to the last game South Carolina week and I am getting ready for that game it's going to be my last game now if we win the game we're going to get a bowl game I'm probably going to get the job if we don't win the game, probably not going to get the job. And so that's Thanksgiving week. And so that, that Tuesday, you know, I get a little daily devotion. I, that Tuesday I got this devotion, and it was Revelations 3.8. And it says, for I know what you have done, and I have opened a door for you that no one can shut. And I was like, wow. I called Kath, and I said, check out this devotion today. I mean, this is like, I'm like, this is like my last week of life, you know. And I'm like, I'm like check this out and I was like man this is awesome and so I just going about my business prayed on it going about my day well I come back in Thursday morning Thanksgiving day Thanksgiving day and I'm gonna meet with the team later on that day have my Thanksgiving team meet the same devotion that I had deleted is back and I said okay God I printed it out so I went in and I told the team I said let me tell you something boys South Carolina ain't got a chance this week and I said I don't know I said but I I know this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's why that hangs on the wall right there. I said that at a press conference when I got the job, and a lady mm-hmm. stitched that for me over there. And so those are some critical moments along the way, and, and I got a lot more uh, as you, you go do, through brother. the journey. But, I know you do. It's, but it's, God is good he is all good. the time. It is eyes on the Lord. Mm-hmm. It is believe in the gifts you Belief, have. man. Don't quit. And the belief part, this is, and this is how we've built our program. Since I've had this job, I have never, and Tim will tell you, I've never had a team meeting where I haven't walked in with those two signs over there. It says believe, and the other one says it can't be done with the T crossed out. Every meeting for nine years, every meeting, is creating an attitude of belief. Because truly, and, and, and it's the old Gandhi quote, but it's, the, it's so true. Your beliefs, not my beliefs, your beliefs, become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. Your values become your destiny. So your destiny, is, so that's why it's so important what your thoughts are, what you believe, what your beliefs are. And so for me, that's what I've held on to 
since I was a kid all the way to, to this day. And, and, I, when I, and I'm serious. When I look in the mirror, I, I see the same hungry kid chasing his dream. That's what I see. And, and I had somebody ask me the other day. They said, they said, Coach, man, could you have seen this? Can you believe? I mean, you know, you take yourself back. If you're not sure. educated on Clemson, you take yourself back to, to 2009 when I got the job. I mean, we hadn't won 10 games since 1990 or 91. We hadn't won the ACC since 91. This is 2009. And now we're going for eight years of 10-plus win seasons. We've been in five ACC championships. We've been in two national championships, three playoffs. And they're like, Coach, could you have ever in a million years seen this? we got kids coming from California to, to, to oh, Connecticut. Miami. All walks of this country want to come see Clemson. And they say, could you have seen this? Is there any way you could have visualized? And, I, and I, my answer is, are you kidding me? This ain't even close to what I visualized. All right, the best is yet to come, and and the first board meeting I had, that was my message because the the board and the board members was like, Coach, we just want to be good academically and athletically, like this program and this program and this program. And I said, Well, that ain't my vision for Clemson. I want for this program, this program, this program to want to be like Clemson, and here's how we're going to do it. And so nine years later, you know, we're just scraping the surface of what of what I've dreamed about, and and it's been such a blast to see it come to fruition to do it the right way, to love our players, and to see young people's lives transform, you know, through the game of football. This is, this is what I know I've been called to do, and I love every second of it. I love where I am, just trying to be great where my feet are, bloom where I'm planted, and uh, to see our brand grow the way it has is, is, is so, so cool. And, and to God be the glory. And that's why the, when they asked me after the national championship, my very first words, I was like, only God can do this. I mean, this ain't got nothing to do with Dabo. Listen, I'm that same kid that came from brokenness, came from dysfunction, and if God can use me, he can use anybody. Above and Beyond, the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.